Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, the Packers are 2-0 as we sit here on Tuesday, two days after the 21-16 victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Some things yet to review from that game. And as we promised on yesterday's show, we have to get to some of these controversial issues. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but I want to start out with a couple of things from Matt LaFleur's Monday afternoon press conference in which he reviewed some of the key moments from the game. And one of those being something we didn't really touch on in yesterday's show, which was that final first down that sealed the game, the play-action bootleg-to-the-left pass from Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. Now, these are two obviously all pro, Pro Bowl caliber players executing a play in crunch time. But it's almost as though we took for granted the how easy they made it look yeah. on what, was, uh, what Matt LaFleur explained was an incredibly difficult play to execute because of the pressure from Anthony Barr, I believe it was, who was right in uh, Aaron Rodgers' face. He's rolling to his left. I just, uh, um, you know, it was only a seven-yard completion, but it might have been, uh, from an execution standpoint, the most impressive play of the game. And you take a chance, Mike, and when you're in a four-minute offense, you take a chance every time you throw the football. I mean, you want to be able to keep the clock running no matter what's happening. And in that particular instance, I just thought it was such a well-done play in that it was a high-percentage throw, but yet what he had to do to be able to get out there and find his receiver. Because, I mean, how many times did we see it? Actually, you could even go back to the week before against Chicago where the Packers, I believe, tried to throw it to MVS, ended up falling down, and completion clock stops. So for Rodgers to come back and you know, have the kind of sequencing that they did, you get the 13-yard gain from Aaron Jones. Right. You get them thinking more and more. He had the four-yard carry. Okay, now they're looking at the run. Now they're cued into the run. They want to stop the run. Well, then you pull the you know the rug from underneath them and, and find Devontae Adams. I, I wrote about it in the game notes, too. I mean, Adams was so consistent in this game. Three of the five third downs converted were courtesy of him. Right. But then to make that catch, it was second and six. It was only seven yards. But those are the type of plays you have to make if you're going to close out opponents, especially within the division. The Packers accomplished that. Yeah, and I give Matt LaFleur a lot of credit for that call there, too, because obviously the conservative, the easy thing to do is to just run the ball, just try to get that next first down, make the Vikings use their timeouts, all that, not risk the incomplete pass. And he said, hey, I've got confidence in my guys out there. I'm going to be aggressive when I have confidence in them. And yet he had confidence despite the fact that until that final drive, the Packers had had only four first downs in the second half. And – When they called for a pass play in a similar second down situation late in the game in Chicago, it was incomplete. It stopped the clock. The Bears did have an extra timeout then when the Packers had to punt the ball back to them when they couldn't close it out on offense. So his confidence was there. He went, he, he had the courage of his convictions that the play action there was the right call and it got the Packers the victory. Yeah, and it's also trusting your quarterback in that instance too to make sure that you get the play off and you have it play out the way you want it to because that is, that's a difficult front. It's not like you're doing play action against a, a unit that can't get home with you know a four-man rush. Yeah, The Vikings very well can do that and they have a bunch of guys that play disciplined and fundamentally sound football. That's how they've consistently been among the NFL's best every year. But Rodgers made the correct play on it. 
And Devontae Adams, to his credit, knew exactly where the sticks were to be able to get the first down and keep that drive moving. It's really interesting, Mike, because how often do you see, it's not even just the NFL, you go to college football, all these different levels, teams that struggle to execute the four-minute offense. Yeah. And you know they end up giving the opposition a chance to get the ball back because the reality is if you do have your timeouts left, you know, you can take eight seconds off a clock if it doesn't go right. So <laughs> from that perspective, I just thought that it was a perfect embodiment of what the Packers were good at in that game, in that Aaron Jones was their workhorse, bell cow back, 116 rushing yards. Devontae Adams had 106 receiving yards and the 25-yard defensive pass interference penalty that he drew. Yeah, That was the go-to, the one-two punch for Aaron Rodgers in that day, and that combination is what helped him seal the victory. Yeah, well, the other thing that I thought was a really interesting nugget from LaFleur's press conference is he talked about the decision that he made after the 45-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs for the Vikings. It's 21-16, to but Diggs gets flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct for removing his helmet sure. on the field after the touchdown catch. So it's a 15-yard penalty, personal foul. Packers have the choice of either applying that penalty on the PAT or on the ensuing kickoff. Now, nine times out of ten, you're going to take that on the kickoff, make them kick off from the 20-yard line, and you hope to get better field position and your next possession. But Matt LaFleur saw that after the touchdown, the Vikings were leaving right. their offensive personnel on the field, and he's like, oh, they want to go for two to get to 21-18, to 18, get within three points. In my opinion, maybe a little early to be playing you know, those point scenario games, but it was a low-scoring game. It had turned into a little bit yeah. of a defensive battle by that point, so I can understand the strategy. But because he saw that the Vikings were going to go for two, he elected to enforce the penalty on the PAT, which essentially then, if the Vikings still wanted to go for two, they'd have to run that play from the 17-yard line right. to get into the end zone. <clears throat> Instead, they just took the 15 yards from the 15 back to the 30, made it a 48-yard single extra point try with the kick, which then the Packers blocked. But regardless, even if the Packers don't block that, the decision to take the penalty where he did it prevented the Vikings from getting within a field goal, even if they make the extra point. Yeah, I thought it was an exceptional call uh, by Matt LaFleur in that instance. And the other thing is, too, he's not going to say this, but I will say it. I mean, Dan Bailey had missed from 47 yards earlier in that contest. Absolutely, so yeah. You're putting back a, a, a kicker that, while historically accurate, only made 75% of his kicks last year and already had missed one in the ball game. So everything screamed that was the right call i also got to give credit to mike zimmer too for potentially trying to get a little savvy there and maybe go you know allowing his his offense to try to get the two-point conversion because they just had the 45 yard touchdown that could really be a backbreaker for the packers if you come go back and you give up the 45 yard explosive and then you give up the two yard two-point conversion right instead the momentum shifts back to green bay i talked about it on yesterday's show with my conversation with tony brown i mean that was an opportunity for my Minnesota really to just grab everything and just kind of get everything moving in their way, you know, get the wind in their sails. And then as it turned out, you know, the Packers kind of reduced the gusts a little bit and were able to, you know, mount the final stop that they needed to win that ball game. Well, certainly Stefan Diggs' emotions leading up to that moment and his his frustrations in essence leading up to that moment because it turned out that was the only pass he caught on the yeah. day was the 45-yarder for the touchdown. It got the best of him there, and it did cost the Vikings because that was a, that was a big penalty. But that leads me to what I want to talk about here as we get into some of these 
some of these gray areas, controversial calls, whatever you want to call them. And we'll start with what happened with Diggs, which is what I think um, was part of his frustration that had been building during the game. The offensive pass interference upon replay review that took away his short touchdown pass in the second quarter. Um, first time, you know, it only took a couple weeks. You knew it was going to happen. But the first time that the new rule of uh, pass interference being subject to review ends up taking away a touchdown because scoring plays are automatically reviewed. Right. So once somebody gets in the end zone, they look at it, they're looking at everything. And they said the, in in the review command center in New York that Dalvin Cook was guilty of offensive pass interference, clearing Darnell Savage out of the way as Stefan Diggs caught the little pass on the crossing route. Vikings were not happy. Wouldn't expect them to be happy. But when you look at what happened on the film, Wes, I looked at it pretty closely yesterday for the first time. I didn't really see it all that closely on Sunday, but it's a legitimate call. It sort of reminds me a little bit about when you, uh, you know, like introduce an invasive species to a climate. This wasn't the reason why the NFL created this OPI right. review rule. Right. Uh, but it's one of sort of the byproducts of it is now these pick plays are going to be under greater scrutiny. It's an inevitable consequence of changing a rule, uh, changing such a significant rule. Yeah, and I, to be honest with you, I kind of like it. And I understand there were some pundits out there. I was watching some of the shows that hated this. But the thing I like about it is you could argue the pick play is the most difficult thing to officiate in the National Football League. I would agree with you. It is virtually impossible to be able to keep your eyes, especially when offenses go spread, where you got two receivers on each side and they're doing their crossing patterns. And when an offense is close to the goal line where where both sides of the ball, everything is compacted. There are so players. many bodies and yeah. you know, it's it's not uh, you're not in the middle of the field where it's already difficult enough. Yeah, so in in you know, these are become so commonplace and in a bang bang environment, it's really been difficult for officials to call those plays in real time. Tremont Williams, I talked about this on yesterday's show, but Tremont Williams said afterwards you know, historically, that's been something that just hasn't gotten called. And it's just been something where the defense just kind of has to bare its teeth and just move on because they know they're not going to get that. Yeah. Well, this was a shift a little bit. And to be honest with you, I feel like this was – there's been a lot – we're going to talk about a lot of the controversies coming up here. But this is, I think, an actual positive that's come out of this review is that now it's allowing the eye in the sky to look at these plays as opposed to these referees having to make judgment calls in the instant. A flick of a pass – a moment in time, a, a quick bat of the eye, and you have to make a judgment call. I do actually like potentially what this could do in terms of making offenses reconsider, you know, running those type of plays and, and potentially the ramifications of it. Because the other thing is, too, it backed up the Vikings 10 yards and they weren't able to get anywhere near that goal line after that. Right. The call cost them four points because they ended up kicking a field yeah. goal there at the end, towards the end of the first half, as opposed to getting a touchdown. I'm with you. I, I agree with everything you said because it, they are extremely difficult to officiate. And it's always, it's felt for years to me, whether I'm watching the Patriots and Tom Brady, or even some of the things the Packers have done over the years with, with Randall Cobb and, and, um, James Jones and guys like that running those rub routes and pick plays and stuff like that. It just, it's always felt like it's so unfair to the defense, frankly. And yes, there are rules. If it happens within one yard of the line of scrimmage and whatnot, it's legal. But I mean, come on, these, these officials are having to, you know, watch these world-class athletes yeah. with the, with these uh, very finite specific 
parameters on the rules, it's it's not easy. And yeah, if uh, if this review of pass interference stuff is going to uh, is going to lead to some offensive pass interference calls being made and and helping out defenses in these tough spots, I have no problem with that. The thing that was that's been interesting to me is what I've heard from all of the pundits, or whether you're looking at the media in Minnesota, everything that's coming out of there is like, well, this wasn't what the rule was intended to do to take touchdowns off the board. But yeah, but look at it; it's a penalty. It's a penalty. So what the heck? So yeah. what, what? What's the? I don't see what the problem with it is when. You look at the film, and it was clearly offensive pass interference by the letter of the law. And let's be honest, too, Mike. There's a science to this, right? I mean, you look at offensive line play. You know, Everson Griffin was making that kind of tongue-in-cheek joke about how David Bakhtiari holds a lot. <laughs> I remember hearing, you know, certain defensive linemen say that about Josh Sitton, but there sure. is an art to it in doing it well. There's going to be pick plays that are going to be very much in the, the gray area this year that they're going to have to make tough calls on. This wasn't one of them. Delvin Cook did not... Do it the way you need to do it in order to avoid the penalty. It was a penalty. Yeah. So it, it is what it is. But uh, I certainly, I think, considering the, the the play started with the head official, I think that was, who was it, John Hesse or whoever it was? Yeah, John Hesse, I believe. Was. Ended up coming out and saying, well, why are we stopping the game? Well, <laughs> yeah, the mic, sir, the mic was on a little too long. You're stopping there, but... the game because you guys just missed a penalty. Yeah. Well, a couple others I want to talk about here. We can talk about them in tandem. The Adam Thielen catch, the 30-yarder that got the Vikings out to midfield in, I believe it was the third quarter, and then Kevin King's interception in the corner of the end zone in the fourth quarter. Both of these were really interesting calls to me because we've seen various adjustments and permutations to the catch rule, the Calvin Johnson rule, whatever you want to call it, over the last few years. And quite frankly, I think the most recent adjustment to those to that rule is what allowed both of these plays to stand because if you rewind the clock five or six years I think both of those are incomplete passes what do you think so it's funny they're completely different and they're on completely different sides of the ball in terms of who was catching the pass right but I think they're eerily similar and why I say that is the new rule, whatever you want to say it is, and you could read it off to me right now, and I would not be able to honestly tell you what the difference is in terms yeah. of nuance from the pass rule. But the one thing that I've taken away from the last year and change in this new environment is basically the alteration to this rule is you're going to need clear evidence to overturn whatever the original judgment is of the officials. That is what holds the most water now. Whatever that first initial reaction to it is is going to be the call and it's going to stand it's why in Thielen's instance I had no doubt from the beginning that that play was going to stand I'm not saying it was a catch or not a catch I don't know but I had no doubt that they were going to rule that a catch just based on what we've seen over the past year the King one is as I was explaining to you yesterday I actually was a little bit more on board with it being a catch slash interception because he did it all in one one motion where it was conceivable, although the ball came out, it was conceivable that he caught it and let the ball go and then continued his celebration. Which is exactly what Calvin Johnson did when right. this whole thing started, yep. and right. his was ruled incomplete in the end zone at Soldier Field, and that's what opened this Pandora's box, and it's led to essentially a decade's worth of of machinations over the rule and everything like that. I agree with you. I think what Kevin King did was all in one motion, and it was 
very, very similar to the original Calvin Johnson play that yeah. was ruled incomplete. The one benefit that King had is there was a lot of bodies around where the Calvin Johnson one, it was just so much isolated on him at that exact moment because, well, he was Calvin Johnson and basically beat everybody to the end zone. Right. But, you know, the thing is, again, as I just sort of uh, illustrated, alluded to, when you had the Des Bryant play, it just always seemed to be during that era of this call, it was always, okay, the officials are looking at these plays and they are just trying to find anything to overturn it as it now it's looking at it and being like, okay, we need to see something that makes us overturn it. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that that's the, you, it's just the perspective that's changed and it's allowed more of these plays to go there. In summation, there are plays last year I can think of that I had more of an issue with standing than either one of those two. I would agree with you. My, my initial reaction... I think reaction, it was one in Washington last year I thought was egregious. I can't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, my initial reaction on the Thielen one is just that because the whole time it seemed that that he was juggling the ball and then just before he hit the ground, it seemed that, yes, then he the ball was secure and then you saw the nose of the ball hit the ground as he fell. And to me, like... You slow that down frame by frame. It's like, yeah, it looks like yeah. he has it. Yep. But when you look at how much he was juggling it along the way, and then you're going to you're going to say that in really what amounts to maybe fifteen hundredths of a second, he had that before the nose of the ball touched clearly touched the right. ground. To me, like the you know the you know the fifty guys in a bar rule, so to speak. If I'm one of those fifty guys in a bar, I'm saying the ground helped him catch it. Even though right. the ball didn't move, it felt to me like the ball helped him, the ground helped him catch the ball. Obviously, the way the rule is written now, as you said, they're, they're looking for something clear and obvious to change a catch if it's been ruled a catch on the field. And in both of those instances that we're talking about, they were ruled a catch and an interception. And they didn't see they didn't see anything that was like you know oh my gosh no that wasn't correct so we're gonna change it yeah for whatever you know they made of this whole thing of New York reviewing these things the weight of the call still seems to be on the original official the one thing I will say that if I have any issue with the way that this has been ruled or officiated over the past year it's that it's kind of turning into a game of craps to me where it's like okay well we know that this is what it's gonna be. But every once in a while, it's, someone's going to roll a seven, and it's <laughs> and you're going to end up having a thing overturned or changed. Yeah. But it doesn't. But I don't think that particular instance has any bearing on any of the other ones. My, so I guess what I'm trying to say is my biggest issue is it seems like they're taking everything in an isolated event as opposed to trying to have some sort of common thread among all of them. If I had any issue with it at this point. Well, the other one that I want to talk about before we go, it wasn't in the Packers game, but it was in the Bears-Broncos game. And actually, it was a couple of things on the Bears' final drive. One being the roughing the passer call on Bradley yeah, Chubb, wow. which uh, gave the Bears the initial 15 yards of that drive where they end up kicking the game-winning field goal. And then the leaving one second on the clock after the catch on fourth down, the Bears get the first down, but it looks like the clock has hit zero. The officials put a second back on saying that a timeout was called in time, and then the Broncos end up losing, the Broncos being the Packers' next opponent here coming up at Lambeau Field. The Broncos end up losing on a last-second field goal to go to 0-2, and the Bears are 1-1. -on -1. I'll be honest with you, Wes, the roughing the passer one, and it's not just because of what happened with Clay Matthews last year, but yeah. that one bothers me more than the one-second thing at the end. I because agree. Because to me... I, 
you know, there's a whole bunch of bodies around there in the pocket, and they they call Bradley Chubb for the whole body weight thing, supposedly that like how he landed on Trubisky when he took him down. I mean, I I just you know, 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, you can't call that. Daniil Hunter made a tremendous play in the game against Green Bay on his sack of Rodgers, yes. where he went high on him and he landed with his full body weight on him. The only difference was Rodgers didn't get the ball out of his hands. If he did, I'm guessing there probably would have been a penalty. Uh, in this instance, the reason I really didn't like this is because, you know, to me it looked like Chubb made a really good football play. And you have Trubisky, because Chubb's rush was behind him and not in front of him, is able to get the football out. At what point, I always go back to this, and I don't mean to keep bringing this up, I think every single time we discuss it, but it's my Kevin Green, you can't control an accident rule. Yeah. You have Bradley Chubb moving with so much inertia towards the target. Once the target throws the football, he can't stop himself anymore, especially if he's trying to get that quarterback, a strip sack, whatever, down to the ground. You can't control an accident. I just, the one issue I've had with the way that this has been officiated over the last year, emphasis or no emphasis, is they just have not been able to find the difference between the black and the white. There's this gray area in there that they keep wanting to put towards one side or the other. It's not that way. Uh, Chubb's play was not a penalty. And I'm guessing when the NFL ends up announcing their fines later this week, he's not going to be fined for for that play. So... I, it's just it was really disheartening from that perspective. The timeout was interesting to me because I, I wrote this in inbox and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I, I guess the way that you should do it is if as soon as that ball leaves Mitchell Trubisky's hands, to have somebody, whether it's a coach or a player, immediately just signaling timeout the entire time to make sure that you get the call. Um, yeah, it, it was a really it was a bang bang play. And I, the reason I say this is because in 1989, I, I think the game's over. But because it's 2019, <laughs> yeah. you know, they gave him the opportunity. And, hey, credit to Eddie Pinero. I mean, what a phenomenal catch or a phenomenal kick to, to win that ball game. I mean, the Bears did what they needed to do. It's just unfortunate that it happened the way it did for the Broncos. Yeah, I think one last thing on the roughing the passer, just to reiterate a little bit of what you said, I think there needs to be some distinction between a football play and egregious contact. Yeah. And, and that's what I was saying. They can't figure it out what yeah, the difference is. Yeah, I it's mean, they, they've, they've altered the stuff with the catch rule to include a football move. Maybe some of these other rules need to have a language of like a football play. If it just looks like a football play, it's football. And I, the one thing I really wish officials would do in this particular instance, there's a lot of times where you got to get that flag in there right away and you got to figure it out. But if a guy gets thrown out of the sidelines, if he goes, if he's whipped out of the sidelines, there's always like a pause for a second or two, and then the flag comes out. For whatever reason, any time a quarterback is touched like that, that yellow flag is out there oh, immediately. It's, it's, it's Just instant. take yep. a breath for a second. The play's over. He's not in any more danger. And just think about what you saw. See how the quarterback reacted to it. Is he in pain? Was it, uh, was it blatant? But no, I mean, immediately the first thing, the reaction is get that handkerchief out on the field. That's unfortunate. Yeah, one last thing. I know we have to go. Marv's bark- going to be barking in my ear in a second here. But I was asked in Insider Inbox if a play like the Bradley Chubb play at the end of the fourth quarter that obviously influenced the outcome of a game, is that going to lead to those being subject to review like the pass interference? My initial answer is no, because the only reason we are where we are with pass interference is because it happened 
in the NFC Championship game yes. and determined which team went to the Super right. Bowl. So I don't think we're to that point with roughing the passer where it's going to start to fall under the replay rule. But if that's 30 seconds left in a playoff game, we're having a different discussion, I yes, think. absolutely. And the one thing I really wish they would do is actually get together as a group and talk about it and potentially pick up the flag. They did it with Ty Summers last weekend. He had that hit along the sidelines, and they decided, you know what, he was running. It wasn't a flag. Yeah, he was tiptoeing, trying to stay in bounds, and and got laid out. And got laid out. Yeah. Fine. That's cool. Let's pick up the flag. They need to start considering that more. Get your officials together. Make a Because there's three, four guys looking at the backfield in that instance. I I just think that it needs to be on the refs right now. But you know that if Chad Beebe had been a quarterback, they never would have picked up that flag. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. You're exactly right. I mean, that would have been an entirely different situation. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for indulging me today in all of these these issues. But we do have to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services if you please. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.